0: Well, welcome, everyone. We're glad that you're back this evening. God calls us to worship from Psalm 91, verses 1 through 2, which says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Let's worship the Lord together as we stand and sing hymn number 580. may be seated. So we're going to receive the offering now. We'll play through a stanza of the next hymn, number 605. If you would go ahead and turn there. After playing through it one time, we'll sing together. We're going to enter into a time of prayer now. Um, I will close our time of prayer. If you feel led, you're welcome to pray aloud with the people of God. And I've asked Stephen, if you would, please start us.
1: Sing, for the opportunity to pray, to lay our request before your feet, to bring the sacrifice of thanksgiving, to offer to you, we pray that you would continue to meet with us, abide with us, show us your word and instruct us from your word this evening, uh, be with heat as he brings the message, uh, may it be your truth.
2: Volunteers, and um, as they, I just pray that they will come to this event.
0: Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy to us on this Lord's Day evening. I add my amen to all the prayers that have been uttered. And I think now of the first psalm. How blessed the man who does not walk where wicked man would guide his feet, or stand in paths with sinful men, nor sit upon the scorner's seat. But Jehovah's law is his delight, his meditation day and night. Our Lord says that Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so, indeed, we come with our needs, we come with our desires, we come confessing our sin, asking for your forgiveness, asking for you to minister to our needs, asking you to lift us up on eagles' wings and make our faith stronger for us having been here this night. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Our scripture reading for this evening is Joshua chapter 5 starting in verse 13 through chapter 6 verse 5. I chose this passage because uh, we talked about Moses before the burning bush this morning and God commanding him to take the shoes off his feet because he was standing on holy ground. Well, this is our other passage in the Old Testament where then for someone to take the shoes off their feet because they're standing on holy ground. So I thought that would be a good bookend uh, for today. So starting in verse 13 of Joshua chapter 5. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing before him, With his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out, and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, Will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. And this ends the reading of God's word. So, anytime I teach from the Old Testament, and really anywhere in the Bible, really, um, I try to remember that there's a fine line between moralizing a passage where it's strictly you do, you know, dare to be a Daniel, uh, you're David, killing the giants in your life, you know, that sort of thing versus teaching it, teaching the passage as if it has nothing to do with our everyday lives. And the truth is, usually, there is a principle for our everyday lives, and one of the reasons we know that about this story in the book of Joshua is because in the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews, specifically verse 30, that passage says, "...by faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days." So at the very least, the author of Hebrews is telling us that the story of Joshua, the story of the battle of Jericho, can teach us something about faith. Uh, and so that's what I want to talk about tonight. What does it teach us about faith? Specifically, persevering faith. I'm talking about perseverance in prayer, or perseverance through a trial or a difficult circumstance, or perseverance through suffering, or perseverance when you're doubting your faith, when your faith is weak and you're teetering on uh, giving up. This story teaches us the most basic point in the world about perseverance. And that is, when God tells you to march, you begin by putting one foot in front of the other. And you continue by putting one foot in front of the other. You read the book of Hebrews. That he, The author of the book of Hebrews is almost like a sports coach at times. He's, ta- he's talking about fighting. He's talking about racing. And what he keeps telling us, running is... The basic principle is you have to keep going. You have to keep going. Read through the journals of the great Christians throughout the centuries. And it's a major theme you'll find through them is that they face trials and they have to keep going. They have to find strength to keep going. One of my favorite uh, little anecdotes I came across over the years was uh, John Knox. When he returned to Scotland after going to England and Switzerland in 1559, he delivered a letter... To his home church in Scotland, asking for money to buy a faster horse because he was being persecuted so much everywhere he went. Keep going. Well, I'll have to get a faster horse. The joke I've made about that is like, you know, imagine me coming to you and saying, guys, I need money for, you know, a, a NASCAR so I can get out of these towns faster because people are trying to kill me. That's where John Knox was. You read the, the journals of, of John Wesley. His diaries are like a catalog of fear and failure over and over again. His marriage was a failure, and oftentimes he felt like his ministry was a failure. He was constantly discouraged. He just had to keep putting one foot in front of the other. Sometimes God gives you a call or gives you a promise, and he tells you to start walking, and there might be a lot of walking before you get to that promise, and so we need encouragement for the road. you think of it was. I double-checked this. I had this in my notes, and I was double-checking just to make sure I was right on this. But yes, approximately 120 years from God's command for Noah to build the ark until the rain started falling. And you imagine many days Noah's out there hammering, looking up, going, how long? How long? But he keeps going. Abraham, how long from the promise that he's going to give birth to a child, and he and his wife's that she's going to give birth to a child in their old age, how long from promise to birth? Approximately 25 years. And you just keep putting one foot in front of the other. One foot in front of the other. David is anointed to be king. How long is it before he takes the throne? 13 years. 13 years of waiting for Saul to get out of the way. Israel, how long do they wander in the wilderness before they finally get to cross the Jordan? 40 years. And Joshua is one of only two people who survived this wandering from beginning to end. Um as a child through adulthood, who gets to enter that land. Forty years of waiting, waiting, waiting. We don't know the future. We sure don't understand God's timing, or at least I don't. It can cause us to get discouraged, to stop short, to even quit. So how do we keep going? That's our theme. That's our question. Uh, Three points. We need to remember that this is a shoeless walk that we're called to. It's an undefined walk, but it's also a walk of right now hope. So number one, let's talk about this shoeless walk. What do I mean by that? The commander of the Lord's army tells Joshua to take off his sandals, which is telling us this walk that Joshua is about to engage in starts in worship. Starts in worship. It starts in worship. It starts in awe. It starts in wonder. It starts in the presence of God. I got a new appreciation for this today. I already knew it was there. It was my own fault. But, you know, for VBS... We have a, what do you call it, like a knight in shining armor, in the full armor of God, sitting over there in the office. And I walked in after church, during while y'all were meeting this afternoon, I walked in and I, I got jump scared. Because this warrior standing there in the office. Roger, was that you? It was you! You are that man! Okay, well... Love keeps not a record of wrongs, First Corinthians 13. Um... I'm way off track now. Okay. So, if that's how I felt with this knight in shining armor standing in the office, imagine how Joshua feels coming into the presence of the commander of the Lord's army who says, Get those shoes off your feet. This is holy ground. And it's and he falls down in worship. And we know, so just think about the fact that he falls down in worship. Now what happens, if this were merely an angel, I say merely an angel, as if there is such a thing, what's the angel going to say to Joshua? No, don't do that. Don't worship me. Like the angel says to John in the book of Revelation, Worship God. Don't worship me. And so we know that this is an appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ uh, showing up to lead the Lord's people into battle. Why do I say the pre-incarnate Christ? Because traditionally, Uh, Not only the Reformed theologians, but all the theologians of the church believe when God physically, visibly manifests himself, that he does that through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The old Scottish church used to say that, it was a common saying, that our Lord liked to try on the clothes of his incarnation before he made it permanent, uh, in a sense. But regardless, Joshua stands before the angel of the Lord and says, Are you for us or for our enemies? And I tried to emphasize it in the reading. Did you catch the, the commander of the Lord's army's answer? He says, no. I'm not for you. I'm not for your enemies. Well, who's he for? Well, whose army is he in command of? He's in command of the Lord's army. He's for God. There's a principle here. God is for God first and foremost. Everything he does first and foremost is for his glory. We come to God saying, God, are you for me? And he says, take your shoes off. That's the answer. Every Christian has to come to realization at some point in their life that life is not about us. It's not about me. That's always, I taught my children this. I will teach the children of this church this. One of the first things you need to learn is that there, there is a God and you're not him. Right. Years ago, um, when I was taking a preaching class in, in seminary, uh, intro to preaching, as, as I recall, we had an assignment that we had, all the students had to create a mock bulletin for a church service because this was to give us practice in preparing an order of worship. And it was pretty simple. You know, you could make up the name of the church. You could use the name of a church that really existed, whatever. A lot of people made really fanciful, funny names uh, for their churches. But the most memorable one I remember because we got an email, the whole class, group email, that said, well, whoever made the bulletin for It's Not About You, Church, come by and pick it up in my office. And uh, I didn't know, I thought it was clever. If it was done on purpose, he he didn't put his name on it because, you know, it wasn't about him, right? It was Not About You, Church. But it started a big conversation that it's, it's like, it's so true. The modern church is so much, it's all about us. It's all about us getting our feeling satisfied. It's all about us coming out just feeling wonderful and feeling like we're just so special and unique. And, and you know, we are special. We're God's people. God loves us. But the principle here is, first and foremost, it's not about you. It's about God. Tim Keller credits, I love this story, he credits him getting serious about the Christian faith with a talk that he heard at an IVF meeting when he was at college. And this is what the speaker said. If the distance between the earth and the sun, which is 92 million miles, was the thickness of a piece of paper, the diameter of our galaxy would be a stack of papers 310 miles high. And our galaxy is less than a speck of dust in the part of the universe that we can see. And that part of the universe might just be a speck of dust compared to all the universe. And if Jesus is the Son of God who holds all things together with the word of his power, Is this the kind of person you ask into your life as a personal assistant? Then the speaker asked the group that was listening for everybody to get up, go outside for one hour, and say nothing, and just think about that. Just think about that. Take off your shoes. This journey of the Christian life, it starts with worship. It starts with reverence. It starts with awe. Now here's the second thing. It's a shoeless walk, so to speak. It's an undefined walk. Um, it would have taken close to an hour to march around Jericho. God tells Joshua in our passage, we've already read it, what's going to happen. They're going to march around Jericho for six days. Then on the seventh, they're going to march seven times. And then the walls are going to fall flat. And there's, the shout is going to go up, the walls are going to fall flat, and, and he's given them into his hands. I left out of the reading just for the sake of, of the length of the reading of something else that's important. If you skip forward to verse 7 of chapter 6, so Joshua, the way Joshua delivers this, what God has told him, is this. First he tells them they're going to march, verse 7. Then verse 10, Joshua commanded the people, You shall not shout or make your voice heard, neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout. You know what's missing there? He doesn't give details on how many days. He just says, it's coming. And when I take it a shout, then you're going to shout. They know they have to march, but unlike Joshua, they don't know how long the march is. See, that would get old after a while. If I'm a soldier, by day three, I'm asking, okay, what are we doing here? Day five, I'm really starting to ask, okay, what are we doing here? But see, that's, what does this teach us about faith? Like Hebrews 11 says, it's that wildlife. life... Often it feels like, okay, God, I'm going to do what you said, but nothing seems to be happening. Like NASCAR, they have the white flag that they're waving. They're warning you the end is coming. We don't get that. And so we just have to keep going by faith. That's the principle here. Here's two other things Joshua knew that they didn't know. Back in verse 2, God said to the commander of the Lord's army, said to Joshua, that he had already seen the fight. Essentially, he had given Jericho and its king and its armies into their hand. In God's mind, this victory was as sure as if it had already happened. But if you're the one down there having to fight, you don't qu- feel quite that way. Wow. And see, that's, and again, this, this is faith. It's believing, Lord, I don't know what's coming next, but you know what's coming next. I don't know what's going to happen a year from now, but you know what's going to happen a year from now. I don't know what's coming at death. I've never experienced it, but I trust what is going to happen. That's faith. It's believing that as God gave the people of Jericho into the hands of Israel, that God has given us into the hands of Jesus to care for us, to be our commander, to be our captain. I mean, he's already fought through... Death, hell, and the grave for us. And faith is believing that he's there on the other side to catch us, even when it doesn't feel like he is. There's a uh, great little mini-documentary that ESPN put out a number of years ago called Catching Kayla. It was produced by Tom Rinaldi. I've never seen anything bad done by Tom Rinaldi. He's a very great storyteller. And the story is about a young lady named Kayla Montgomery... She's an athlete. She's a freshman in high school. She's diagnosed with MS. And the story begins. So much for her being an athlete. But she's a very skilled... She's, she's fast. She's a runner, and she's fast, and she doesn't want to stop. And in fact, after she gets MS, she decides to keep running. She only gets better and faster. And you know why? She couldn't feel her legs anymore. When she ran, she couldn't feel her legs, and so she could push beyond her physical limitations. The only problem is... She has to keep moving. The moment she stops moving, if she just stops running, she collapses on the spot. And so there's the dilemma that she and her coach have. I can still run. I can run faster than ever. But as soon as I stop, I collapse. Well, what's the only solution? I'll stand at the finish line, the coach says, and I'll catch you. And you can see it on the documentary. She immediately crosses the finish line. She jumps into her coach's arms, and he holds her. He holds her there. He holds her up so that she won't faint. And like, That's the idea of Christ going before us, is that we can know this walk is undefined. It could be another year. It could be another 40 years. But we know somebody's there to catch us at the end, and so we can keep running. We can keep going until we collapse. Charles Spurgeon famously said that it's better to burn out than to rust out. And what he meant by that, I mean, burnout means something different now than it did when he said that in the 1800s. But his idea was, you know, like, like Paul said, he was pouring his life out like a drink offering to the Lord. He was going to give God, like, I mean, you read, he said, I worked harder than anybody else, but it wasn't I, it was the grace of Christ that was in me. We're empowered by knowing that the Lord Jesus Christ is there to catch us at the finish line during this undefined walk. Now, here's the last point. The walk starts with worship. We don't know where it ends, but we know we have Christ to catch us. And that means that this is a walk of right now hope. There's future hope that Christ will catch us, but there's right now hope as well. One commentator I read said that the commander of the Lord's army coming down to fight for God, for the people of Israel, shows, showed us early that God was willing to come down and be amongst and fight for his people. Well, Jesus coming down in the gospel gives us hope every moment of our life that whatever problems we're facing, and I mean whatever problems, whether it's addiction or family issues, whether it's an illness, whatever it is, we are never hopeless. We have hope. Day seven, the days the wall fall flat, so to speak. It may not be until the day we're resurrected and stand before Christ in glory, but it could also be tomorrow. That's why S.M. Lockridge preached that famous sermon it's friday but sunday's coming sunday's always coming that's i say this all the time but the brilliance of god to move the sabbath from the last day of the week to the first day of the week part of that is we start off every week with hope we start off every week with resurrection hope god is the god of resurrection he turns things he turns them around it's what he does That's the Christian life in so many ways. It's Sunday's coming. And one of the most fascinating passages in the Bible for me that speaks to the right now hope that we have has to do with a woman who had an issue of blood. You'll probably remember it. But she comes to Jesus. Well, a man comes to Jesus and says, My daughter is dying right now. Will you help me? And the text says that on the way, uh, as Jesus is going to heal this young woman, this girl, that a woman with an issue of blood comes to Jesus and and lays hold of him. And Jesus stops, looks her in the eye and pays attention to her. And you've got to think, Jairus is thinking, this wasn't on my timetable, Jesus. I need you to get to my daughter. But it was important for Jesus. In Luke 8, 43, this is how it describes the woman who was healed by touching Jesus' garment. It says there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. Why mention 12 years? Why mention that? The gospel, so many times these gospels, they're they're unlike any of the literature of of that time period. Which, and this is one of the reasons you know that they're not made up. You know they're not fiction. is because there's these specific details, like 12 years. Jesus heals another person who's been disabled, it says, for 18 years. He heals a man who's been invalid for 8 years. He heals a demon-possessed child who, it says, was possessed from birth. He heals a man who was born blind, blind from birth. The point... It doesn't matter how long you've had the issue. God can fix it in an instant. What we can't do in a year, God can do in a second. The walls can fall flat just like that. They don't always. But we have to have faith that they can. That's what keeps giving us hope. That's what keeps us from falling into despair. Every truly despairing person, every nihilistic person that I've ever met... They're, they're great. Uh, the reason, the thing that's driven them into despair and nihilism is them thinking, everything I do is useless, nothing will ever change. And the Gospels will not allow us to believe that, no matter how bleak the situation. So Martin Luther, it's attributed to him, we don't know for sure he said it, but it's a famous quote nonetheless. He said, live every day like Christ died yesterday, rose today, and is coming back tomorrow. And you will live a life of hope. Run every day like it's your last day, because one day it will be. Run every day like God could change things instantly, because he can change things instantly. D.A. Carson tells a story. In 1952, Florence Chadwick planned to be the first woman to swim from Catalina Island to mainland California. It was a little over 20 miles. It was a huge feat at the time. She'd already swam the English Channel both ways, which was a similar distance, so she knew she could do it, and she'd been training. But the day she stepped off to Catalina Island, of Catalina Island, it was foggy, and the entire swim was foggy. So she swam into the fog with her trainer, following her in a boat, and she kept telling him, I'm going to give up. I'm going to give up, and he kept saying, don't give up, just keep swimming. That sounds familiar. Finding Nemo, that's why it sounds familiar. Anyway. Just keep swimming. Just keep going. Eventually, she just stopped swimming and was going to allow herself to drown. She knew they'd save her, but she just gave up and she just floated. And a team jumped in, rescue crew fished her out, put her back in the boat. Now, what she didn't know as she was giving up because of all the fog was that she was only half a mile away from the shore. Half a mile. And the next day, she had a press conference, and she said, I don't want to make excuses, but if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. Right? And that's us. Like, if I could just see the shore. And we don't feel like we can see it. But that's why we keep coming back to Scripture over and over again. It's telling us, here's the shore, and you're going to make it. So keep swimming. Keep going. I'll close with this. I mentioned John Wesley's... Uh, sometimes depressing and miserable diary. There's a section of it that that uh, is just classic. He recounts the, the events of a number of days, and this is how it goes. He was going out doing itinerant preaching all over the place, in churches, and fields, and anywhere he could get an audience. He would preach. I'm taking this from his journal. Day 1, AM, preached at St. Anne's. was asked not to come back anymore. See, preachers take... Encouragement from stories like this. <laughs> P. M. preached at St. John's. Deacons said to get out and stay out. But he kept going. Day two, AM, preached at St. Jude's. Can't go back there either. Day three, A.M. preached in somebody else's <laughs> Saint somebody else's church. Uh, deacons called special meeting and said I couldn't return. Day four. Preached on the street. Kicked off street. Day five. Preached in a meadow. Chased out of meadow as bull was turned loose during service. But he kept going. Day six. Preached out at the edge of town. Kicked off highway. But he kept going. Day seven. Preached in a pasture. 10,000 people came out to hear me preach. What a difference a day makes. What a difference a week makes. If Wesley doesn't keep going, how did those 10,000 people hear about Christ? And if we don't keep going, if the church doesn't keep going, how is the world going to hear about Christ? And so what do we have to do? Keep swimming. Continue the faithful march. Let us pray. Father, sometimes we don't feel like we're soaring with wings like eagles. Sometimes we don't feel like we're running and not growing weary. Sometimes we feel it is all that we can do to walk. Well, let that walk be with you. Hold us by the hand. Give us encouragement for the journey ahead of us. Give us strength for, the de- for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Um, help us to be faithful and obedient to the call that you put on our lives. And when we do, grow weary. Lord, give us the gospel over and over again. Show us the golden shores of the gospel to give us motivation to keep going. Thank you for your grace to us today. Thank you for ministering to us today. I thank you for how you ministered to me today. And what a blessing it has been to be with your people today. I pray that as we keep going through these hot summer months, Lord, that your, that your smile would shine brighter upon us than the sun. And I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and sing hymn number 700. Come we that love the Lord. 700. Then let our songs abound, and every tear be dry. Grace, mercy, and peace be with you all, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, as we continue this, our short, earthly pilgrimage. Amen.